Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie Weissman, the editor in chief here at Modern Retail. And this week we have Jackson Janiagam, the VP and general manager of the DTC side of Clorox. Um, hey, Jackson, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, great to be here. Thank you, Kale. Um, really, I'm excited to dig into just how you've grown your team over the past couple of years and the general state of being, uh, you know, leading e-commerce DTC at a big CPG company. I'm sure we'll get into all of that shortly. But, I, you know, I, I like to ask people to sort of describe what their positions are. But I'd also love to hear a little bit more about your background before, because I know that you've had you've sort of been at a few different really fascinating companies over the years that led you to Clorox in the end. So why don't you just sort of give a little summary of, of what you've been up to for the last, you know, decade or so? <laughs> yeah, uh, I started my agency and my career at agency side uh, back in 2000, uh, first 15 years between Portland, Seattle and New York. I uh, started in PR and shipped the social and digital very early on, working on mostly Fortune 500 technology CPG brands. Then I was lucky enough to go to Chipotle to run digital uh, and work very closely with the commerce team as well. And that's where I really fell in love with e-commerce as a function of digital and, and digital engagement. Uh, but then the food crisis hit and I spent a year dealing with that, which was fun, uh, but also not so fun. Great learning. Yeah. Um, and I took that learning. I went to become a CMO at Boxed, uh, an e-commerce startup based in Soho, New York. Uh, I was there for about two and a half years. Um, also different kind of experience in Chipotle, but really great. I uh, got experience of fundraising, raising capital, working with the VC and then PE and financial and strategic firms, as well as obviously building and growing the top line of that company. And then I came here to Clorox uh, just about two years ago, pre-pandemic, uh, to <laughs> launch and build scale D2C, as you know, we did for the whole Clorox company at the time. However, I didn't know cleaning was going to be such a big part of my focus. You know, I was really focused on wellness and Burt's Bees and Brita, those brands that are part of the Clorox family that most people don't know even. Uh, and then, of course, the pandemic hit. And then obviously everyone started paying more attention to Clorox than ever before. And, and now we're thinking about what does cleaning look like for D2C in the future. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of my background. Got it. So when you first joined Clorox two years ago, you said that what you were focusing on was more on the health and wellness side. Well, can you just sort of talk about when you entered into such a big company, specifically coming from a more startup environment, how you viewed sort of the building blocks of growing out your team, what, what how you thought about growing that specifically? Yeah. So, you know, I think um, Chipotle was a big company. A lot of people think of it yeah. like a smaller startup, um, but they but they operated like one in good and bad ways. Uh, and Clorox <laughs> was, while just a little bit bigger, I think, you know, the time Chipotle was, you know, probably five billion in revenue and, and Clorox is around seven billion. So pretty similar, but very different kinds of companies. Clorox is much more like a hundred year old CPG, very matrix, very uh, f f fundamentally and foundationally very solid, right? Whereas Chipotle 20 years out, still trying to figure out who they were, right? In many ways. So I would say that this is very distinct, even though the sizes were similar. Um, I think that the biggest learning and the challenge I knew, because I've worked with CPGs at Box, I worked with CPGs on the agency side was the, the pace at which a CPG works. So you have a lot of resources, but that means you also have a lot of layers, a lot of people involved. So how do you maintain a pace of working and how do you get to, to take advantage of what DC is, which is moving nimbly and fast and learning and iterating while also balancing taking advantage of what they have, which is insane amount of resources. Yes, in the legal side, of course, but also on operations, R&D, uh, uh, supply chain. It's amazing, right? When you say with Clorox, it unlocks a lot of doors, right? Because everyone knows with Clorox comes reliability, stability, cash, and so forth. So I think that was the biggest learning and the opportunity. But the way I approached uh, building the team was really, I need to go get a lot more people who work and think like me on the DTC side um, across the country. 
bring them in and really developing the, 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 the foundation, right? Which is growth, marketing, uh, creative, product experience, engineering, uh, data science analytics. Um, and oftentimes, yeah, you might get some of those people in a big Clorox company, but I knew I needed to go to startups like Jet, uh, who's no longer a startup, uh, yeah. and you know, Plated, Brandless, uh, Daily Harvest, and get great talent from there and then bring them over. Um, and that's essentially what I did. And, and that's how I built out the foundation of the team by those functions. Was that a hard sell for taking people from those companies? I imagine that they they didn't necessarily, their first thought wasn't, I'm going to go to Clorox now. Yeah, no, I mean, Kayla, I, I can tell you, you know, I think I have a pretty good network and good reputation, but <laughs> it definitely was not enough in a lot of instances. <laughs> um, and, and I built out the team, again, pre-pandemic. So remember, I joined yeah. in January of last year, 2019, mm-hmm. started building out the team in March. My first hire was my head of product in April. And if you know anything about D2C, you probably know product is one of the hardest roles to fill. Even at Box or like Airbnb, Warby, those are hard roles to fill because everyone wants them and there's not enough of them, right? Senior product people. So now here I come at Clorox trying to sell someone to come from like a Netflix, an Airbnb, a Warby Parker, or a Peloton and come work for me at Clorox, who no one ever thinks of as D2C. And, and we were able to do that. And slowly we built out the team. My thinking was, you remember that tag game when you were a kid, Bulldog? You have one yeah. person who's it, 20 people running at you. That was my strategy. Like I just need to get one. And now it's two of us. And I get two people and then I get another one, and then it's three and then so forth and so forth. Each person has a network, each person has a reputation. So at first it was me. I just needed to sell one person on the vision of what we're building and give them a, a really cool way of doing things. Take the best of startup without all the crap of startup. Take the best of CPG without all the crap of it and say, we're right in the middle. Oh, and by the way, it's a very stable place to work. Now, last year, no one was thinking about that. So as I built out the team last year, luckily I got most of my executive team in by the end of the calendar year. All those functions done by January. What was interesting, though, was we were really struggling because, you know, it's different selling a very senior person because, you know, at that point in your career, you're thinking about stock options, you're thinking about longevity, you're thinking about yeah. family, you think about all these other things where Clorox does actually become pretty appealing versus a startup that's still trying to raise Series B money. Um, so there, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people who turn me down, but there's a lot more people who are interested than I thought. Where it's really hard is that mid-level and junior level. People who like yeah. have a little more flexibility and income, like, hey, do you want to go work at Clorox or make maybe even <laughs> a little bit more cash at Peloton, at Warby, at or insert cool wellness company out of Brooklyn that has five people, but I love the founder, I love the vision, and I'm not gonna make much money, but I'm gonna have so much fun, I'm gonna do 10 different things, right? That's the hard sell. And yeah. so for about five, six months, uh, when we started to build out that next level of team down, uh, we really struggled. I mean, it was hard, very, very hard, Kale. And then the pandemic hit. Uh, and then by April, <laughs> we were still hiring aggressively. And as you know, many people were, and then by May, a lot of people were laying people off, people from great startups, not all of them, but a lot of the great startups started um, having some attrition, which really sucked, right? San Francisco, New York. But then what I found was, Kale, I had a lot of people who actually, when I was interviewing them before, even said like, hey, I'd love to work with you. I like what you're doing. I just, I can't get my head around Clorox, right? Like, no, I get that. It's different, right? I had about, if there was like 10 people like that, I can't remember exact numbers, probably five of them. So half of the people that had that conversation with me, at least half came back to me within two months of the Mm -hmm. pandemic saying, hey, are you still looking? And these are people, some people I worked with, some people I'd hired before at other companies I could still couldn't get them to, to come work with me. Um, and then they came back. Some of them said, hey, I'm actually interested now. Like I'm in a tough situation or, you know, I, I realize uh, you know, where, where the co- country is going and the opportunity you guys have here. It's really interesting. And I don't blame them. I would have said the same thing too, right? It was a hard sell for me to come here. So it was really interesting. It was almost a tale of, of three different Cloroxes when I started. And then there was that stage when I hired the exec team. And then there was post-pandemic where, you know, now it's become, I won't say it's easy. It's never easy to hire great talent. 
but it's not nearly the same as it was exactly 12 months ago or 11 months ago when I would post a job and I might get a lot of recruiters and agencies, but not as much talent as I want. Now when I post it, I get people from every startup, every size company interested. And also I think we've built up a little credibility too, right? We've launched Burt's Bees mm-hmm. CBD. We got some other things happening. So that helps too, as we built out a great team there out there. But yeah, Kale, it's definitely, uh, <laughs> hasn't been easy, but it's been fun. So that's, that's really fascinating. Do you think, I mean, I imagine that there are many different things at play, but maybe like a year ago, pre-pandemic specifically, you know, I don't know, during the the last rise of of all the DTC brands, the hot job was to obviously work there. And even if it was a little bit less money, then you would make a name for yourselves. Are the people who were coming back to you, was it simply the fact that they had lost their jobs or that they were realizing that, hey, I need something stable and I don't know how long this is going to be around for? Yeah, I mean, I think it was a combination, right? It, it was yeah. definitely, uh, this is more stable. I want a stable job. I want to be in a role that, you know, I trust that uh, it will still have a job in six months or a year. Yeah. Uh, but in some cases, it was definitely, hey, I just got laid off or I'm about yeah. to get laid off. Or actually, one in one or two cases, Kayla, it was 20 or 50 people or 100 people around me got laid off. I'm still here and mm. I'm getting crushed. Like My life was already crazy and now it's like, I can't maintain this. So I think it was a combination of things like uh, for, and everyone was different, but I think the stability, the recession, the questions, Clorox thriving, other industries not, I think there was a lot of, of that driving it, no matter whether they got uh, laid off or they're feeling the pressure from others being laid off or nothing had happened, but they were just seeing where things are going, where people are going to spend money, who has the biggest opportunity to grow and scale and who doesn't, right? Uh, and, and, you know, to be honest, Gail, I think what was also happening is even before that, the reason I was able to hire some of that executive team and some I wasn't able to is there are some people like me who've been at startup, who've been at small size, mid-sized companies, and then have been at even bigger companies and, and see like there is like this dichotomy of like, there's a balance there, right? Like there's not everything about startup is so great, right? And everything you yeah. hear and see about it is so great, but everything about big companies is so great. So we're building this little island, this incubator within Clark. So I think there's, there's a subset of people out there that love the little bit of both, right? They love what the big company has and what the small company has. And I found that there's a niche there of like those people. But there are some people even now who might be laid off who are career startup folks. I'll never be able to recruit them. They just, their love and their passion is with startup, which is great. Like they want to build a company from this size up. And I truly respect that. There's one person I recruited so hard, Kale, on the creative side. She was really, really great. I won't say her name, but like <laughs> I tried so hard. I'm like, oh, I need you to come work with me. Like you're going to really do some amazing, great things here. And she just, she's a startup person. She goes, I want to go to a company 100% or less. In fact, she's a startup that's a well known startup. It's a thousand people. And that was too big for her. She goes, it's way, way too big now. Uh, now, at the end of the day, everything happens for a reason. We have an amazing head of creative that I admire and respect tremendously. Um, but yeah, there's people like that that, you know, you just got to cut your losses and hope that you stay in contact. It's it's so interesting. I feel like that there's a, a general, very popular career trajectory, specifically with people sort of in your situation where they sort of oscillate from big to small, from big to small, when they get sort of, you know, they're like, I want more job security. So I'm going to go to a bigger company. And then oftentimes I hear people who are like, you know, I'm a little bit bored. So now I'm going to jump off board of that and go to a new startup. And it seems like yep. Yeah, the way you're describing it is you kind of have a best of both worlds, ideally, at least for the time being, where, you know, you're kind of insulated from from the bigness and also trying to do newer things. And, you know, that's right. The way I pitch it, Kayla, is like, okay, you get stocks that actually are real stocks, not paper stocks that might happen (laughs) at a liquidation. Right. That's real. And now that stock is very attractive. Right. So you get stock. A bonus that's a real bonus target tied to criteria. It's real cash there available, right? Um, a competitive salary. But most importantly, you get to build a case study. That's what I've been pitching. It's like, okay, 
there's no shortage of startup case studies. Um, and yeah. some of them, you know, for every Warby Parker, Kayla, you and I both know there's a hundred companies you and I have never heard of that ran out of money or just were too early or whatever the reason I didn't succeed, right? Those are rare. Um, even once they go IPO, you know, it's challenging. What I've been pitching people is like this 100 plus year old company that kind of forgotten company in some ways, but it's in everyone's house, right? You don't think about it daily, but it's always in your house. How do you rebuild and redefine the way to go to market, the way they build a store experience, the way they challenge what a CBG can and should do? Like That's a pretty interesting case study, the way they leverage data, how they turn this size of business from this much to 5-10% of the total business. Like I think that's a really interesting case study for master's classes to say, this is how CBGs are reinventing themselves. And by the way, the ones that don't, here are the ones that are left behind. At one point in time, you know, this company was like a blockbuster video, was the, the, the king of the hill. And then because they didn't evolve, they're like Blockbuster Video circa 2005 where there's one store left or whatever it is, right? So I think that's the really interesting opportunity. It's not easy to get your head around because it's still a big leap, but we're getting there. And I think that's how I've been trying to sell folks. Like you can be a part of something really, really cool. Uh, Every industry has to go through it, right? Like education, pharmaceuticals are going through it. Insurance is going through it. Uh, CBGs are no different, right? We're going through a huge, huge transformation uh, that got accelerated by COVID by three years, right? I think the transformation was probably two, three years too early. Now it's, it's all around us, right? Leads me perfectly to my next question. Uh, <laughs> so what? I feel like you had a case study you were working on before COVID, and now you have a new case study. So can you just give a little background? Because you've not you and I talked a few months ago, and we we you know we had talked about what you were doing with Burt's Bees, also what you were doing with some uh, some wellness brands that you guys were, that you guys had launched and were focusing on the e-com. But I feel like things have shifted, and you have m- many more projects on your plate that have been accelerated. Is that incorrect? <laughs> That is accurate. So when we last chatted pre-COVID, so when I came on, it was probably April. And then I immediately assessed kind of the opportunities, right, what we needed to do. And the first thing I wanted to do was uh, get the brands eventually off the the cloud, third-party cloud solutions like Magento and Salesforce and move them to a custom tech stack. I didn't want to be on Shopify either. So for scale, for cost, for a lot of reasons, I wanted to control my own product roadmap, right? I wanted to build out whatever features we wanted, not be beholden to what that platform has. So we built it out, and but to build out a platform, you can either migrate existing brands onto it, which comes with some risk, or you can build a brand new brand on top of it, and also show Clorox and other CBGs like what it could look like to incubate and iterate innovation, right? So in CBG, for those of your listeners, if they don't know, innovation usually comes in different scents, different packaging size, different um, varietals, right? It's not launch a brand new brand and a brand new site. That, that's how we think, right? So I wanted to do a couple of things, test out the reliability and, and stability of my technology platform as a commerce platform, uh, but also build a brand and show them how we could iterate and maybe launch in five years, we launch four brands and maybe two of them fail like a portfolio and two of them do really well, great, that, that's a win, right? And, and by the way, I'm gonna spend a lot less money doing that than I would a year and a half with research with big research firms and a lot of money spent to then launch something nationally that doesn't go anywhere, right? Those That's millions of dollars in time uh, lost, right? So for me, it was a really great opportunity. And that's what we did. So we launched Objective Wellness, a brand new brand, launched it in about four months on top of a custom tech stack that's still in MVP mode, right? Minimal viable product mode, still testing and iterating, it's never done. But the goal was to test the viability of the solution, the platform, but also can we launch a brand new brand, learn from it, get real customer learnings, not third-party insular learnings of people at focus groups, uh, get revenue, get scale, uh, and then apply those learnings to other brands, other businesses on top of this platform that we continue to build out. So now that we have this platform, I now have a Shopify experience custom built internally. So then I can take to Burt's Bees, Britta, and say, hey, we have the solution. Do you want to swap out features? Do you want subscription? Do you want a loyalty? 
great, we can do that. It's here on Shopify. We'll just custom build it based on what your needs are and based on what the broader roadmap is. So that was what we did, um, Kale, and that's how we launched Objective. It's about 10 months in. Now, of course, when COVID hit, uh, we started really shifting focus on immunity products because obviously immunity is what people really wanted. So we had some products there and that's where the focus went versus building the broader brand. But now we're getting back to, uh, we did a whole repositioning. We did a rebrand because the original brand we launched with, we knew it was kind of like a pilot. And we did some testing with our customers that we had acquired and they're like, eh, it doesn't really feel unique or different. So we're like, great, now we need to take what they want, learn from them and then put it into the new brand, which we just rolled out. And I think you wrote about it a couple months ago that talks about, hey, this is the positioning, this is where we're focused, this is why it's unique. And now we're gonna test and scale out across TV, Instagram, Facebook, uh, affiliate and so forth. Um, but as COVID hit, we also then had to turn our attention to other brands within our portfolio, right? Like Rainbow Light is another brand that is doing really well with the counterattack, which is an immunity product. So how do we start to scale them on D2C? We just launched um, Burt's Bees CBD, which we kicked off in the spring right around COVID time. And we started talking about what does that launch look like? It's the first time that we're launching a CBD product at Burt's, at Clorox. It's Burt's Bees. Everyone loves Burt's Bees. Uh, but it's only available in 25 states. So there's some complexities there. So yeah, both those things happened all around the same time, um, but for different reasons. <laughs> We're now going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. So let's go into the tech stack because uh, I've talked with you about that. I actually interviewed Vivian, your colleague, a few weeks ago for one of our events about that. And I, I am like really interested in the fact that you sort of built this from the ground up and the way that you, you went about it. And, um, I guess my my question to begin with is, do you, it seemed very advantageous, the timing that a year before COVID hit, you had already begun building out sort of a platform by which you could launch uh, brands and deal with all of those extraneous parts of, of, of that. For, for other big CPG companies, do you think that like, as they sort of test and iterate and run their own sort of DTC programs, are, do you think that they are more likely going to be relying on Magento, on Shopify, et cetera? Are they yeah. really trying to build their own? What is sort of the climate in terms of the invisible tech stack that that luckily you've been able to sort of build out upon? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a correlation to how big of a bet they're taking. I think Clarks is taking a big bet that this is the opportunity we already had as some smaller DTC brands, and it made sense. I don't think every CBG is going to do that. I think every CBG is going to be more measured and a little bit more conservative and just go rent, for lack of a better term, existing platform solutions until they get to scale. I think the long-term future viability of that is is challenging, right? If, if you're thinking about three, four, five, seven percent of your yeah. sales, I think you're going to need to build it out because you can get frustrated by the lack of feature set. Um, and then there's also security issues, right? I would always much rather control my own environment versus having someone else control it. So I think that more the larger CPGs will do that. And really, I think the ones that are really committed to DDC will follow in our footsteps, to be quite honest. And, and to be very clear, I think when people hear custom tech stack, they think homegrown, and, and that's actually very different. Homegrown is, to me, very much like what MySpace was early days, right? It's a rubber band <laughs> solution. It serves the needs. It can handle a certain amount of traffic. It can, it, can, it can deal with what you need to deal, not much more, not much less. And it's usually hard-coded to engineer, uh, engineer dev time. So if you want to change out a module on the front end, you want to change out an experience with Thanksgiving, you're, you're on like a every two week or every week code push release, right? That's when that thing gets launched. So we wanted to launch headless commerce. So separating the front end experience so marketers and creatives can update anything, change pricing, A-B test anything. But the back end stays reliable, is stable, uh, and but does not be holding to code pushes uh, to get uh, front end features launched. So for us, we actually, it's custom built, which is a combination of building out our own OMS order management system and our own project information manager. But 
leveraging third-party SaaS solutions like Segment as our CDP and our pipes essentially for data, like MongoDB for database processing, like uh, Snowflake for the data warehouse, uh, and then put the MarTech stack, ESP, and all that stuff, conversion rate optimizers on top of it. So, you know, when I say custom, I think some people think, oh, it's homegrown. I'm like, no, 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 this thing is stable. It's not homegrown. We're leveraging third-party SaaS solutions to put it together and then home custom building certain components that we know are going to be critical for, for true scale. Because building an OMS, for instance, for a large CPG takes on lots of complexity because you have OMS from like processing, shipping, and pallets to profit pressing shipping individuals. If we ever do small business, right? The small bodega that you and I might go to every day, they don't have a Clorox sales rep, right? They are, they're going to Costco, maybe Amazon or a distributor to get their stuff. We have a great opportunity to talk to them and give them a self-serve portal. So that OMS experience looks very different than you and me ordering off objective. So uh, yeah, that solution I think is more complex. And I think if anything, you'll see CPGs follow that footstep. So Pepsi, I think just launched uh, their own DC platform for the, yeah. those folks. So I think that's probably the entry point for them to start thinking about, should we custom build this versus just go to Magento, Salesforce, or Shopify, which I think lacks the scale and customization that they would truly want. And by the way, CBG's money is generally not the issue, right? Like they're not worried yeah. about that, that money. At the end of the day, it's really the viability of like, can we get exactly what we want on our terms? And I think at the end of the day, a custom solution is the only way to do that. And I imagine like, if they are investing in building their own uh, their own custom stack, that would be a really good, uh, an even better sales pitch for people who are looking to join a bigger company. Oh, but but you know, it, like that. Oh yeah, that, people will get excited for, about that. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't going to build an engineering team. Our head engineer wasn't on Magento devs, right? Nothing against Magento. I just that's not a selling point, right? But I could say you're going to learn new languages. You're going to learn new ways of doing things. Yeah, that exactly, Kale. That becomes a selling point. I forgot to mention that. So building out a product team, engineering team. It was already hard enough to sell Clorox. If I was just saying, hey, come be a product lead for a Magento platform, like when these are, I'm not I'm not hiring like C level or D level product folks. These are the best of the best I'm trying to get. They can go anywhere they want. So I got to make this as compelling as possible. And the work is a big part of that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, can you talk a little about now that you, you, you've you launched the tech stack, you mentioned that you shifted some of the wellness products to be more immunity based, but also what's happened with COVID has been very cleaning focused and Clorox is a cleaning uh -huh. company. Have you been, have you been testing out so, some of Clorox's other brands with, with your DTC uh, team sort of what's going on with that? How has that been going? Anything along those lines? Yeah. The CBD launch is probably the most, most relevant one, right? So bird CBD that I referenced just launching. Um, so integration is always tough, right? When you're talking about, to essentially completely different teams. But that's part of my job, right? So as much as we talk about launching, scaling, B2C, revenue, innovation, it's also teaching folks a new way of doing things, right? That was one of the reasons that they brought me on was like, hey, we want all of our marketers to really understand D2C. And most of the marketers want to understand it, right? We all know this is the future. So that integration is also very challenging. But I think what's really cool is we've seen so many of the brand marketers from Burt's, from Brita, from Cleaning, lean in and be like, hey, we want to learn this. Some of them actually come from DTC brands and, and others haven't, but they're like, I know this is vital to my future. If you think about most marketers, you know, they are probably trained in above the line, TV, out of home, billboard, all that stuff, and maybe some digital, but not performance marketing, which is, you know, that that's core to DTC. So I think what's been really cool is to see us integrate and work with them to understand um, how we can find that balance to build a hybrid team of brand marketers from a CBG standpoint, but also along with DTC professionals 
who, who really understand what we're doing. And, and it's a learning both ways. Right? We're learning as well about how CBGs go to market, which, you know, you could argue no one is better at building a brand than CBGs, right? Like they, they, they've been building brands for hundreds of years from our ancestors, like, you know, the first soap and soap operas, right? Like they're the best at it. No one can refute that. So it's really cool to see all that history, all that experience kind of bubble up to where it is now. And, and us hopefully being able to take it to the next level from like a distribution channel standpoint, which is what DNC is. So yeah, CBD is one that we're launching. We're working with Brita right now closely and a few other brands on the wellness side, which are around the corner, um, as well as some of the opportunities I referenced earlier. So that's all underway right now, while also continuing to focus on our core brands within the supplement space. Got it. And so in the coming year, given that so much change, unforeseen changes happened in the last six months, is it about just sort of keeping things robust? Are you going to be building out new brands? What are you seeing as sort of your focus in the next few months? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely building out the foundation to so continue to work on the text that we call it Olympus. Uh, and we spent, by the way, weeks thinking about the code name and the idea was Olympus being the place of all the Greek gods, right? So <laughs> Olympus is a platform and every brand essentially is a code name with a different Greek god, you know, ideally relevant to what that brand is. Um, so that Olympus, as I referenced it for the rest of this conversation, that's the big focus. Right? Building out that platform, continue to, to, to fine-tune the functionality, refine the Burt's Bees experience, right? Continue to learn on that now that it's launched and live. Continue to work with the Burt's Bees master brand, right? Because there's still the Burt's Bees core brand of lip balms, customization, all that stuff yeah. to scale and build that out. Um, and everyone's asking for more immunity products, right? And comp products, as you know, with uh, Rainbow Light, I mentioned, but also our natural vitality. There's insane amount of data right now that people are more stressed, especially with the political climate, are more in it, aren't getting enough rest despite working from home. It's actually causing more stress than it would be going into the office, especially if you have kids and then different, different situations. So our comp products are are through the roof right now. Everyone wants more calm in their life. Magnesium is obviously a good source of uh, relaxation. So working on, on how do we continue to propel that brand? So those are my big focus areas. Cleaning is the one that everyone talks about. It's like, hey, what's that going to look like? Because everyone wants Clorox to deliver subscription wipes yeah. to your door, uh, vaccine or not, right? I think it's still going to be relevant. So we're working through that. I can't share too much yet. Uh, that team is very busy, as you can imagine. And they've always been prioritizing, which I have a ton of respect for, uh, healthcare workers and first responders. They're really focused on the people who need it the most and then getting to everyone else. So that's clearly the top priority. But those are a few things I'm working on while also trying to keep keep bringing great talent. And so we have like six open recs. We'll probably have 10 or 12 by next spring. Um, and we just, uh, you know, have a New York office confidentially that we just signed. I guess not that confidential since we're on a podcast, but um, <laughs> we'll say, yeah. being recorded <laughs> for, for your, your huge audience. But um, yeah, that's hopefully going live in a few months. And if we're able to get back to an office right now, everyone's working remote. That'll be a really exciting time for to bring people into our New York uh, presence. Can you just walk me through just sort of some of the the learnings, I guess, with Burt Spee specifically, what, like, what is it that has changed? You know, you talk about building a case study, given that it was sort of their first time using your software, figuring it out. What, what were sort of the biggest takeaways, would you say? Uh, I would say it's, um, it, it takes a lot of organization. So, you know, <laughs> having the right project manager and product managers in between integrating, because you have so many functions and Burt Spee is a brand that has a very specific design, aesthetic, a point of view, right? Like a brand that's that, you know, part of our culture. If you think about Burt's Bees, actually, you can talk to anyone who's 15, of a bunch of nephews and nieces who are teenagers who love the brand, anyone who's 60, they all know it. So it's an interesting brand in that way that it has relevance across yeah. several generations, which is very hard um, for something that's like, not just like a, you know, like a deodorant or a soap or something. Mm -hmm. um, so that one was interesting because they have their brand, 
we're not going to reinvent the band. We're not going to do that. But our goal is like, how do we make it relevant from a D to C conversion, optimizing that funnel standpoint? So that was one. Um, so there was a lot of back and forth there. We had to learn the brand essentially. Two, CBD specifically. How do we launch CBD when you can't use several marketing channels, right? Yeah. They won't let you market. It's very saturated despite that. There's a lot of noise and there's a lot of bad players. I mean, there's just a lot of crap out there that's making all these promises that they legally cannot do. Um, thirdly, how do we just ship it to you? If you're in New York, you can't get it. You can see the site, but you can't get it. So how do we manage that expectation? So that was a big learning. We're still learning it, to be quite honest. And I would say, fourthly, um, it was finding the balance of like, you know, as far as my team's concerned, we would want to launch it in eight weeks and be done with it, right? But Clorox might take six months or eight months. I'm just making it up as a time frame. So how do we find that middle ground? And like, you know, what I think one of the challenges with startup, I'll be very honest, scale, is um, startups always have that mentality, move fast, move fast. That's our point of differentiation, which is true. But sometimes startups move fast for the sake of it. They're not taking that minute to think about why are we moving fast? Like, do we actually need to move fast on this? Is everything dependent on speed? Because when you move at such a fast clip, you do miss things sometimes. Things you you just that's an, it's, it's inevitable. So I think the challenge sometimes with startups they move fast without thinking about it. And I think what we did was we had to force ourselves to say, hey, do we need to move fast on this? If we launched in October versus July, is that the end of the world? And we learned it wasn't, right? So we actually took our time and did it right versus just running through it to get it up for a random date that was assigned. And I think that, honestly, and for my my sanity, my, my gray hairs, <laughs> I have a lot of them, I was able to maintain some black hairs because it gave the team two months more just to do this right. And that's the biggest learning for me because my head was also move fast, move fast. But then when someone pushes me and, and I start thinking about why, I didn't have a good answer. I'm like, I guess it doesn't really make that big of a difference. <laughs> we lost two, two and a half months later. So can you talk, I'm interested just given that Burt's Bees is such a big company, it is so known, but it's also, it's one of those things that, you know, you get at certain stores. I don't know. It's it's a certain kind of brand awareness. So how did you sort of go about top, top of funnel customer acquisition for a new kind of CBD product online? Where were you, what, what where did you learn? Where, how did you go about that? So it's three weeks in. So we're still like, we're still okay. very, very early. <laughs> uh, so there's not that much top of funnel outside of PR. So PR has been yeah. on the top of funnel driver. Yeah. We're not doing any TV yet. No out of home, uh, no print, uh, doing some direct mail, very specific. Uh, as you know, we're limited on social, can't do anything on social, exactly, search, yeah. can't really do anything on search. Um, there's some display, but even display, there's some networks that will not publish you. Um, so we're working through that literally right now and trying to find all avenues. Like even we talked to even TikTok, like uh, there's challenges with like the age limit. Like, you know, there's certain rules you have to have to ensure that your audience is a certain age. And so uh, literally working through that now. So maybe if we talk in two months, I'll have more to share with you, but those learnings are happening right now. But I will say from a top of the funnel standpoint, there's nothing better than these two things. And this goes for any brand, any category, uh, PR, product PR, like getting I mean, it's great for SEO, it's great for credibility. I mean, what happens when you search anything? You go and you find articles about it, you read about it, right? And then secondly, referral. I mean, Burt's Bees has hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of customers who already subscribe to learn more and get emails from Burt's Bees. So we have these awesome customers that love us and want to hear more from us. So we just email them and say, hey, we have CBD now, come try it and give them incentives to refer. So everyone forgets these things. Everyone's trying to reinvent this wheel that we have, this acquisition flywheel. But at the end of the day, is there anything better than obviously having a great product, but referrals from your best customers and just good old fashioned, great PR with the right journalists. Like, I, I don't know, I guess I always think it's sometimes it's, it's super simple uh, because that's your foundation, right? Everything else, like, I don't know, you, you'll figure it out. But if you don't have those two things and your product sucks, then nothing else matters really because no one will repeat. Mm -hmm. I, I think you're, you're totally right. So I know that you guys have been working on a, a, some, some partners, some partnerships with other brands. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah, and let me get my make sure I have all my talking points about it right. Uh, okay. But, you know, so, so we're part, part. My team is working really hard on it. So you know, I haven't been asked close to it, but I know they worked very hard to get it live, and it's going to be live. I think by the time this airs. Uh, so we're launching with Gravity, which many people uh, hopefully know who love their sleep. Um, I love my sleep. Gravity is an awesome sleep brand. They're known for the Gravity Blankets. It's heavy, just amazing uh, blanket um, that just once you get under it, if you haven't tried it, it's, it's nuts. Like you'll be out for like 10 hours straight. Uh, so we've been partnering with them for a while. We've tested some cool um, campaigns on a smaller level. We're actually launching a whole beauty sleep kit, uh, which has like basically three sleep-focused wellness products. Uh, and it's co-branded between Objective and Gravity. It's the first of its kind. So there's a, a sleep mask, there's a sleep serum, um, and I think there's some bedding accessories. So it's a really, really neat creative partnership with a brand that has a very like-minded approach towards uh, um, uh, wellness and, and their consumers and how they talk to them and what they value. So, you know, we've loved working with them, getting to know them. So we're very excited about the sleep kit. We think it'll do pretty well. Um, I think it'll be available on our site as well as theirs. Um, and, and I think it's like mid-November-ish or mid-December-ish. Um, uh, so it's super exciting for us. And, and we're hopeful that actually uh, we can do a lot more of these. Where I come from the startup world, you live and die by your partnerships, right? You go find a cool yeah. startup that isn't competing with you, but overlaps in the audience. And then you just try things and some of them completely fail. Others kill it, and all of a sudden you have a really cool collaboration, and this is hopefully one of those. Well, yeah, can you talk, so are, had you been trying to seek out partners for a while? What was your sort of rubric by which you were going about it? It sounds like you're going to be seeking out more. It seems Tons. like, it, from from the TTC framework, you're totally right, that that's a very smart playbook, and it's also a way to conserve funds also, or yeah. <laughs> be a little bit more strategic when it comes to it. You don't, you're operating from a different standpoint, so talk a little about how you were thinking about it and how it ended up working with gravity and, you know, where it's going. Yeah. So, so one point I will say is while cash flow isn't necessarily our concern, like at a startup, I don't have unlimited money. So I, I definitely true. have a tighter budget, but you're right. I don't have, I have the best backer in Clorox in terms of VC <laughs> versus like, you know, VCs that I have to go back to every 12 months for funding. But, um, but yeah, it's definitely different. So, um, you're probably giving us too much credit though. It was honestly like a lot of luck and timing. So my team is working hard by going on LinkedIn and leveraging relationships that we have and they have uh, with people from different brands. And, you know, me coming up in New York startup world, there's a lot of startups that I've been connected with or know and same with people on my team. So we're just reaching out to them and saying, hey, would you want to do something? And, and, and what could it be? We're very open because, you know, we can just do a partnership or it's email swap or we can launch a product with them because we have this great R&D and innovation team so we can bring to market any wellness product. In fact, in my kitchen right now, I have a bunch of samples of like cookie dough products, brownies, uh, all paleo and keto friendly, vegan friendly, uh, gluten free, and they're delicious, right? So like we have all these samples coming to us from co-manufacturers that we can launch anything, anytime with a really cool um, wellness story. We just need to find the right partner that makes sense and makes sense for our audience. So that's something we're always innovating on and we're always willing to bring that to market. But we'd probably start with something a little bit smaller, like an email swap, or let's just see if we have the same audience who's interested in the same things like Gravity. So Gravity was interesting because I was speaking at an event and so was one of their executives and he and I caught up and we're like, hey, we should do something together. I'm like, we have a sleep chocolate that people love. It's one of our best-selling products. So it's our best-selling product. He's like, well, we're all about sleep. I'm like, yeah, I, I know that. Uh, so let's do something together. So we got an email together. I got the team together. He got his team together. And I think within three weeks, we we all aligned and we felt like it was good synergies and we started brainstorming. So uh, it started like last summer, maybe. Last actually, we did an event together at Barclays. They were uh, a feature there. We did some Instagram posts. Their, their following is bigger than ours, of course. So we were still launching, but we we're still learning. Um, so it's all happened over the last eight or nine months. Um, and then we finally launched this new product. So Again, from a Clark standpoint, it was much faster than it normally would be. But from a startup standpoint, this is pretty atypical, but it was definitely a luck and timing. And, and But we're looking for great partners. We have turned down a few, um, some that just weren't right. Um, 
but we definitely want the right partner. They're, they're the perfect example of that. So we're always open and you know, I'm, I'm a huge believer in startups and entrepreneurs. I'm always willing to help them as well um, as they're thinking about getting off the ground. So it doesn't matter what states are at. They can be series A, we'd be willing to partner with them. Got it. All right. Well, Jackson, that's all the time we have. This has been a really great conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time. Likewise, Kale. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. Our producer is Pierre Bienname, who also produced our theme music. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and send this podcast over to a friend who you know would enjoy it. See you next week. Thank you.